0: Well, good morning, and uh, happy Valentine's Day to you. I hope it's going to be a good day of celebrating love and relationship, uh, romantic or otherwise, right? We can celebrate all kinds, and maybe it'll even produce a gift or two, right? Got your gifts ready to go? Maybe you already taken care of that. Valentine's Day does kind of remind us that, that giving and love go hand in hand. You know, when it, well, you can always tell what has a piece of your heart, person or otherwise, you, you can always tell what has a piece of your heart by where an extra dollar goes. You know, even when we're going through hard times, financial or maybe it's something affecting the whole nation, we may not be able to, to give as much as we want or do as much as we want. But boy, where there's love, that, that dollar, that dollar will find its way there because the heart always gives. It, it always does that. It always uh, provides that because the heart loves. You know what God's thinking about today? You know what his heart is on today, this Valentine's Day and really every day? His, his heart's on you. His mind is on you. And, and his extra, doesn't quite right to say extra dollar. But boy, his giving, his giving goes to you you know the message of the bible the message of the gospel is is god's love for you that that he loves you and maybe the most well-known verse in all the bible john 3:16 says that very thing for god so loved that he did what he gave he gave he gave not just at a kind of a warm fuzzy gift like maybe we might get or receive today but he gave a gift that really was at the heart of the need in our lives, because the Bible tells us that you and I, we'd run up a debt, a, a, a very serious debt, a, a a sin debt against God and a, and against heaven, and it was a debt that that you and I could not resolve. That's not, I think, hugely surprising to us. I, I, I think most of us are are pretty free at acknowledging, you know, I'm not perfect. I know I've done things wrong. I know I've done things that I shouldn't do. But I'm not sure we can fully grasp, even with what we acknowledge, that we can fully grasp just how big the debt is. I I think maybe it's somewhat like our national debt, right? National debt, $18 trillion. That seems like a lot, Right, you know, if I if I ask you what 18 trillion dollars is, I would I would assume a lot of us we can write out 18 trillion on a piece of paper. We might take us a couple of times to add up just how many zeros that is. We might know that a trillion follows a a billion, and so we can kind of define it. We know know it's a lot, a lot, a lot. But yet, I think that number is so big. I'm not sure we really do grasp it. I think if we really grasped what that was, we'd be a little bit more upset about it, wouldn't we? We'd say, hey, shouldn't somebody care about this? Shouldn't somebody be trying to solve this? What are our leaders doing to solve this? And yet, I think what you get mostly throughout America is a just kind of a shrug of the shoulders, right? We know it's big. We know it's bad. But I, I don't know. It's just so big. Maybe it's, it's just not real to us. But you know, it not being real to us doesn't make the consequences unreal. Uh, the consequences will be very real. And so I kind of wonder, is that like our sin debt? Is our sin debt a lot like the, the national debt? In that, yeah, I, can, I know there's a problem. I know I can kind of define it. I know it should probably be, be fixed, but it's so big. Because Can I really grasp the distance between me and God? The distance between me and holiness, can I really get how big that is? And, you know, I think sometimes even with maybe how freely we might confess that we sin and we do wrong, do we really get how bad that is? You know, whether we do or not, the, the consequences are real. And the consequences are so severe and so bad. You and I have a total inability. I'm not sure about the national debt, but we have a total inability to solve our sin debt and so in love as god's heart was on you and he saw this great need in you this this great need in me he moved to resolve that but but what 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 does he use what does he use to deal with this what does he use to to pay for this it it's going to take something of infinite value something of infinite power the infinite power to overcome what it's going to take To pay for this. Folks, the only gift he could give was his son. And he didn't hold back. He he didn't hold back at all. Because the heart gives. And his heart gave for you. I mean, I think it's an incredible gift, don't you? I'm I'm overwhelmed that a gift like that is offered. I'm overwhelmed that I got to receive it. I'm overwhelmed that some don't. I'm overwhelmed that many—I don't know why—I use the word "some"—that many don't receive that gift. You know, when we think about that gift, kind of spreading out around the world, we've prayed today about taking the gospel into our community in the world, Nicaragua specifically. As we think about that, you know, you and I today—we we live in a time in which we think of Christianity as as everywhere. I mean, it's it's a major world religion, right? It's one of the big big two or three. And, and we know Christians, not just here in our church as we huddle together. No, we, we know Christians at work and at school. We know, we know Christians out in the community. I would imagine most of us in here, we know a Christian somewhere else in Virginia, right? Maybe, maybe we know a Christian in other parts of the United States. Maybe we know Christians in other parts of the world. And, and so in our mind, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just everywhere. Now, we kind of logically think about them. That wasn't always the case, Right. But even if you go back to the beginning, it seemed so so big, such a such a world religion. I mean, when you go back to the beginning of the church, and, and that would be what the, the book of Acts is all about, the birth and the beginning of the church. You see in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has been resurrected. And Acts chapter 1 shows him ascending up into heaven. And Acts chapter 2 shows us the Holy Spirit descending down to earth and onto the church. and And man, the church explodes from there. I mean, from that moment right there, there's about 120 people and Peter goes to preach and 5,000 respond. That, that, that's the birth. That's the, the, the seminal moment of the church and 5,000 come and are baptized that day and, and become a part of the church. And as we start turning the pages of Acts, I mean, it just seems like every page, you know, more and more are added to their number. This many thousand responded. And so... When we think of the context that we're in, and it's a major religion, and we go back there to the beginning and it's exploding with these huge numbers, Christianity just kind of always feels really big, doesn't it? And, and yet it wasn't. It wasn't. It, it was 120 people there when the Holy Spirit came down. And, and yes, 5,000 is a lot. And as you turn those pages and the decades start passing, you go 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. And, and yeah, pretty soon we've got a church that is tens of thousands of people spread throughout the Roman Empire. But those tens of thousands are amongst tens of millions. They are a very small group. They are a very unpopular group. And in many cases, they are a hated group. And as these people are coming to Christ, as they're saying yes to Jesus, in many cases, they're saying no to everything else in their lives. As they say yes to Christ, they're being kicked out of their families. They're being kicked out of communities. And in that culture and context, when you lost your your contact with a community, your contact with a family, you you weren't going to do business. You lost your land. You You lost your home. You lost your ability to make money. And so pretty soon, this group of people called Christians are almost entirely experiencing financial hardship. I mean, yes, the body of Christ is growing and it's growing penniless as it does it. And that's the common experience. We wouldn't come into a gathering like this and say, oh, let's pray for this person over here. They're being persecuted and and they're dealing with a hard time. No, we'd be looking for the one person to pray for all the rest of us who's not going through a hard time. It was that hard. It was that difficult. And so as they came together... They almost instinctually just began bringing everything they had. What's, what's it going to take for us to survive? And, And everybody started bringing Acts chapter two, verse 42. Everybody started bringing everything they had. Everybody pitch into the pot and then we'll divvy it out and make, you know, make it go as far as we can so that we all have what we need. And you know, there was no command to do that. There wasn't a command then. There's not a command now. Wasn't a command. It wasn't a tax. Wasn't a membership dues. And it was just the heart. It was just the heart. This is a group of people that, that, that is entirely encapsulated in love. God's love for them, their love for God, their love for each other. And, and the heart gives. And boy, we turn the page and it, it just continues to happen. Every page of Acts, this is going on. We turn to chapter 4, verse 32. Same thing. Lots of people coming. The church is growing. And they were all bringing whatever they had because they all had nothing. So they're all bringing whatever they have to, to care for one another and take care of one another. But then we do end up in a story there at the end of chapter 4 with a guy named Barnabas. And it's kind of, I, th- I think it's kind of like our first big giver. You know, who's the big giver in the church? And, and it, in this case, it was Barnabas and it, it's just a short story. I mean, it's four or five verses there, but but Barnabas goes, and apparently he's kind of a big landowner, and he sells off a bunch of land. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, you're bringing a can of soup, and I'm bringing I'm bringing a loaf of bread, and somebody else has got a couple of extra T-shirts, and we're all just trying to huddle up and survive. And here comes Barnabas. I got a half a million. Can anybody use it? Um, uh, yeah, we'll take it. You yeah, know, I mean, boom, in it comes. And, you, you know, you can imagine everybody's kind of feeling the love at that moment, right? I don't know. Was there applause for Barnabas? Did he get an award? I don't know. But it caught the attention of somebody. Caught the attention of, of of this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. We're now in Acts chapter five, and and this story of giving goes on, but a a little bit of a different story. Ananias and Sapphira see this, and they kind of get motivated to kind of do the same thing, but not with quite the same motive. And and, and so Ananias and Sapphira appear to be a couple of some means, and, and and they have some land, and then so they go and sell a piece of land. And hey, look at us, we're bringing it to who? And, and they dumped down. I mean, I would assume a significant amount of money. I, I would assume a large amount of money. But they, but they lied about it. I, I don't know why. It doesn't say what their motive is there. Other than I think we're seeing, okay, whatever's going on, their motives are not pure. So they, they gave the appearance they were doing one thing, which was giving and giving a lot. Okay, that's, that's good, right? No, it's not about the amount. It's about the heart. And the way they were doing this showed there was something wrong with their heart. And it's kind of a weird story here because it's almost like the Holy Spirit whispers in Peter's ear and tells them what's going on. And Peter says, Ananias, he questions them one at a time as they come into the church that day. and He says, Ananias, you didn't have to sell the property. And if you wanted to sell it, you didn't have to give a penny of it to the church. But you did, and you came in here, and you lied about what you did. You you, you, you pretended to be something that you were not, and the dude just drops dead right there. Not a word out of his mouth. Boom, dead. And then then his wife comes in, and she repeats the lie, and she drops dead. Now about this time, I'm leaning over to my wife going, why don't we try that church down the street next week? Because this place is over the top. I mean, holy cow, people are dropping dead. Because, I mean, can you imagine how that story might be shared? Man, if you don't give enough in there, you just, you just drop dead. God just strikes you dead if you don't give or, or you don't give enough. But it wasn't about what they gave and it wasn't about enough, was it? No, there was something else going on there. But hey, you know what? Whatever's going on there, as you're reading these opening pages of Acts, and many people were being added, and this many thousand, and that many thousand, and then you read that story, and it's hard not to think, man, this must have been a momentum killer. I mean, talk about stopping church growth. Just start to have people getting struck dead in the service, you know? But Acts 5.11 says that they greatly feared the Lord. Well, yeah, but then Acts 5.14 says, and the church grew more than ever before. I mean, that right there is a little bit of a head scratcher. <laughs> How did that story lead to the church? Because it, it's the real thing. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, whatever our need is, we always sooner or later want to be connected to the real thing. And and that's what's happening. And then we turn the page and we're in Acts 6. And it's still about resources and it's about giving. But would you believe? Because, you know, as long as, gosh, as long as people are touching this stuff, it can get messed up and we can do wrong things with it. I mean, Ananias and Sapphira, their motive. And now it's in the hands of the church. And and the church was, when you look in Acts 6 and there appears there was, some kind of prejudice going on there, racism going on there, and, and there was a concern that as it was being divvied back out, there, there was some inequality in how that was happening, and, and so, guess what gets birthed out of that? The deacons! That, that's where deacons are invented. They, they put together a group of people, a group of servants who are going to make sure that the whole body is cared for equally and that all is, is, is done rightly. And boy, you just keep turning the pages and I can keep going on like this. You get to Acts chapter 19 and it's the, the Corinthians. And, and, and we learn of the Corinthians in First Corinthians 16 too that, that they began to give the first day of the week regularly. What is our Sunday. And we learned there that that now giving was moving from just being giving to the crisis, giving to keep us all alive for what do we have have today? And, And now it started to become something that was methodical. It was systematic. It was it was about worship. It was about ministry. It was about making sure we were ready for for whatever might come in the week, the month ahead. Folks, the, the story of the church is very much a story of giving because the church was birthed in one line. For God so loved the world, He gave. He gave. And, and, and so it's a, it's a story of God's love for His people, His people's love for Him, and the people's love for each other. What, what I want to read to you in the midst of all this today is, is a particular story about giving and and as you listen to this story you're gonna see it's it's not about accounting it's not about the budget it's not about what times are like it's about a heart listen listen for the heart in this story and see if you hear it. I'm going to read out of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you have your Bible and want to turn there with me. After uh, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. Then you're in 2 Corinthians. Get to Galatians or Ephesians. You've gone too far. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 1 to 9. And I'm reading out of the, the New Living translation today. Normally out of the English Standard Version. But today I'm reading out of the New Living. Chapter 8 beginning in verse 1. It says, now I want to tell you, dear brothers and sisters, uh, what God in his kindness has done for the churches in Macedonia. Though they, were, though they have been going through much trouble and hard times, their wonderful joy and deep poverty have overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they've got, they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the gracious privilege of sharing in the gift for the Christians in Jerusalem. Best of all, they went beyond our highest hopes for their first action was to dedicate themselves to the Lord and to us for whatever directions God might give them. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to complete your share in this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, you have so much faith, such gifted speakers, such knowledge, such enthusiasm, and such love for us. Now I want you to excel also in this gracious ministry of giving. I'm not saying you must do it, even though that the other churches are eager to do it. This is one way to prove your love is real for us. We have a a command at the end uh, of the last verse that says, excel in giving. And then the next verse says, this is not a command. That statement is not referring to what was just said. It's referring to what is going to be said. And what was going to be said is your giving proves your love. So what he's saying there is, listen, I'm not commanding you to give to prove your love. I'm just telling you that giving proves your love. And then verse 9, you know how full of love and kindness our Lord Jesus Christ was. Though he was very rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. In this story, we have Paul using one group of believers, the Macedonians, to encourage, to inspire, to challenge another group of believers, the Corinthians. If you look at verse 6 there, you kind of see what is going on. The, the Corinthians apparently come along and said, hey, we want to be a part of the need. We want to be a part of taking care of these Christians in Jerusalem. And then for whatever reason, they didn't do it. Good reason, bad reason, whatever happened, they they ended up not following through on what they said they were going to do, and and so Paul is saying, hey, listen, I'm going to send Titus, and when Titus gets there, I need you to, I, I need you to fulfill what you said you were going to do, and so as that, that's really what that whole point is about, but as he gives that point. He puts this story around it, this story of the Macedonians. And as he does that, as he describes the Macedonians, it is the oddest accumulation, the oddest thrusting together of words and ideas that I think you can imagine because nothing goes together. Now, I'm taking these words out of the English Standard Version, the Bible I normally am preaching out of, but this is the words that is used there. He describes them as first being in a severe test of affliction, and then the next words out of his mouth are their abundance of joy. Now, how can you put those two ideas together? How can you be under severe affliction and be in an abundance of joy at the same time? And and then he describes him as being in extreme poverty. He's not just saying these people don't make a lot. He's not just saying, man, they're having a a hard time. They are in extreme poverty. And then the next line, they they give with a wealth of generosity. How, how? How? How can you use the word generosity in extreme poverty? And then the last line, extremely poor Macedonians begged. Okay, now that one I get. Right? When you're extremely poor, I mean, what are you, you're reduced to it. You've you got to beg. No, no, wait a minute. <laughs> no, they weren't begging to get something. They were begging to give. They, they were begging whatever they had that, that they could give it. Now, certainly when you look at the way Paul is writing this story, telling this story, and, and he picks these words and these ideas and puts them together, it, it seems to me he's trying to get us to the place where we're scratching our head going, What? What are you talking? How? It's almost like it's not supposed to make sense. See, we want to figure out the accounting here. We want to figure out the the amount here and say, hey, this shouldn't be happening. As a matter of fact, I'm guessing what has happened is that somebody has said to the Macedonians, keep it don't. If you give, it's going to make your own situation even more severe and more worse. You're just going to end up needy on the church also. Listen, don't make your situation worse. Just keep what you have. I mean, something tried to slow them down that led them to the place that they started begging. No, we want to do this. We want to be a part of this. You know, I started thinking something. I, I don't know how many times I've read this story. I mean, I've, I've known this story for, for decades. But I, I noticed something this week when I was reading it that I, or I, I say noticed, I thought of something that I had never thought of before. And that was, how much did they give? H- how much did these extremely poor people, when the, when the plate was done going around, how, how much was in it? And I, and I don't think this is a right statement to make. I don't think it's a spiritual statement to make. But I just, they can't have taken up that much, right? I mean, whatever they did had to be insignificant. I mean, really, is, is what they're going to take up really going to make a difference you know, it's interesting as, as the Bible from Genesis to Revelation tells stories of giving and highlights groups and individuals in giving. Uh, the kinds of stories it tells. And we certainly have some stories of big givers. So I just referred to Barnabas at, at the end of Acts chapter 4. I think probably not only the greatest giver in the Bible, but I, it's hard to imagine somebody exceeding King David ever in the history of the world. Uh, King, King David gave... Hundreds of millions of dollars. Now granted, he had it. He was wealthy. And he dumped every bit of it. Every single bit of it. He just kept giving and giving. So yes, you have in the scriptures these stories of these great acts of giving. And yet you read right through them and it just sounds informative. I don't know that the scriptures necessarily setting them up as look at this hero of the faith. But when you do read stories of giving and there almost seems to be this hero feel to it, it's almost always an amount that is insignificant. Jesus in a worship service, just like this one, the music's playing, the plates going around and Jesus stops the service and says, look at what this person just gave. Can you imagine how awkward that becomes for everybody in the room? I mean, we're about to enter a really super weird moment. And he says, Look at the, and who did, you remember who he pointed out? The widow. She just put in two mites. It it is an amount of money that is not translatable into our language. We don't have a unit of measurement to describe what she gave. A penny is talking about too much. You, you, You can't use the word, well, she gave something like a penny. No, she didn't give anything like a penny. A penny would be a lot. And and so, I mean, Jesus is really stopping a service to see this. I mean, she literally put as close to nothing as you can put in the plate and it not be nothing. It's nothing. And yet he stops and says, Man, look at that. And then, as if it's not awkward enough, he starts to address everybody else that just gave. And he literally says, Thanks for the tip. Appreciate y'all throwing at me uh, your leftovers. What you didn't need. What you don't care about. What, what you're... Go- I know we got something left after this week. I got everything else done that I... Hey, here you go. Gosh, that's not very nice, is it? That's not the Jesus with the little lambs around his feet that I always pictured. That's kind of in your face. That's kind of awkward and uncomfortable. I mean, he's kind of getting into... Not our wallet. What's he getting into with that statement? It's getting into our heart. See, the, the two mites, that was a heart. Everybody else in the room giving your, your money. No, you're, you're not, that's not giving because there's no heart in it. Just paying something off. And then not only do we have the widow lifted up. I mean, here we are 2,000 years later still talking about this hero. The person Jesus made a hero. But the Macedonians, kind of the same thing as the widow, are not they? Again, he called out how much she gave. The scripture doesn't tell us how much the Macedonians gave, but I just can't help but think it just could not have been that much. These are people that aren't they don't know where the next meals coming from. So what what could they have given? But see, it's not about the amount. It was about their heart. And isn't that what Paul's pointing to in verse 5? When he says, hey, listen, we're trying to figure out where did they come up with the money? How, how, did, they, how did they do this? And, and, and they're saying, hey, listen, they've already given themselves to the Lord. They already dedicated all of themselves. You know, we have a saying in, in, in our culture of Christianity today. I'm sure it's the same saying that you say, I've given my life to Jesus, right? I, I've given my life to Jesus. Now, sometimes that's a neat phrase that just lays around up there in the clouds. And it's just a neat thought, isn't it? But see, for the Macedonians, it wasn't just a neat thought up there in the clouds. It actually came down and lived on earth, and it had real bearing on everything. Because if I've given the whole of me to Christ, then that means I've given all of the pieces of me to Christ. He has my dreams, and he has my failures, and he has my relationships, and he has my job, and he has my money. And that seems to be the way the, the Macedonians are approaching this. What? What? I gave some money? Yeah, why wouldn't I? I've already given all of myself. I've already dedicated all of myself. So why would you be shocked, Paul, if a piece of myself follows that? If a piece of myself is a, a part of that, it, it seems like the Macedonians really grasped verse 9. Hey, Jesus became poor for me. Now, they're not saying, and we're trying to become poor for Jesus. Nowhere in Scripture are you commanded to be poor. Are you commanded to like being poor? Are you commanded to stay poor? The Macedonians were just stuck there. It's just where it was right now. But they seem to be saying, hey, listen, in this moment, I don't know if this moment lasts for another week, another five years, if it lasts the rest of my life, but in this moment that I am poor, if that helps me experience, that helps me identify and understand what Jesus did for me, then so be it. You say, wait a minute, when did Jesus become poor for me? Folks, he, it's, not, it's not the wealth Jesus had. He is the wealth. He is the wealth of the universe. He is the glory of, of the universe. He, he owns everything. But, but he put on human flesh so that we couldn't see that. Isaiah 53 says that when he walked down the street, there was nothing even about him that we would even say, hey, there's a, a decent looking man. There, there's an attractive person. There was nothing about him that drew us to the... He, he, It's not that he's beauty. He is the definition of beauty. It's not that he's rich. He's the definition of rich. And yet nobody could applaud him for that. Nobody could see that in him. And then ultimately he did that because he put himself in a place where you and I would spit on him. And mock him. And kill him. Why? So that you and I would have the opportunity to one day stand before God wealthy that we would one day have the opportunity to stand before God with the eternal riches, the eternal inheritance in front of us for us, not because of what we did, but because of what he did. He became poor so that we could be rich. Not for a few years on this earth, rich forever. Jesus did that for me? Then, hey, I'll use my poverty to appreciate what he did for me. So, this story is told, and in it there, there's, this, there's this one directive: Excel Excel in the grace of giving now that is a, that's a strange term. grace means undeserved favor and undeserved gift. Excel in the undeserved gift of giving. Do you see the scripture saying, "You and I getting to give, you don't deserve to give what it's not about what I deserve. Giving's about what, you know, that's about what I'm doing. That's a, no, I don't, I don't bring anything to the table. I bring nothing to the table regardless of the amount. I don't enrich God. I, I don't enrich Christendom. I, I don't make something happen. It's a grace. It's a grace. It's an undeserved gift that I get to be a part of this in this way. Excel. Hey, you know, if you hear somebody say Excel, what do you hear? If I say, hey, would you, would you finish this project or I say, would you excel in this project? There's a difference, isn't there? I'm not even sure that the goal is to define the difference. We just know if, if I'm just finishing something versus I'm excelling. Man, if I'm excelling, I'm growing in understanding. I'm growing in ability. I'm trying to get as good as I can. If I'm excelling, I have an understanding of where I was last year. Where was I in this in this grace last year? What has happened to the to the point that I'm standing here now? If I'm excelling, I have an understanding of the decisions I need to make, the discipline I need to take, so that next year I definitely have moved the ball even more. You know, it's interesting as we we, we see the scripture talking about these insignificant amounts or these very large amounts, that command to excel applies wherever we are on the spectrum, isn't it? If you're giving $50,000, you can excel. If you're giving 50 cents, you can excel. Wherever we are, we can excel. And you know, when you excel, you ultimately become a coach, a teacher, a model. Isn't that what the Macedonians had done? They had excelled to the point... That they were a model, a, a coach for the, for the Corinthians and even for you and I today. Can you think what they did in that moment? That moment right there and that gift that maybe added up to nothing. It's so significant in heaven. God said, I want them talking about this in Virginia 2,000 years from now. That's pretty significant, isn't it? Because they had excelled. And to excel to that kind of extent that's to be the goal with which we approach this discipline in the Christian faith you know we tend not to think about excelling we tend to think about an amount and how that touches us how that affects us we get very caught up in the amount sometimes get overly prideful of the amount get overly defensive about the amount get angry about the amount but you know what the, the Macedonians show us It doesn't matter what the amount is if the heart's not there. The widow gave a... I mean, the only word to use is worthless amount. And she's a hero, a model of giving. Ananias and Sapphira, I would assume probably by our terms, gave tens of thousands of dollars and they were struck dead. Because of not only not the right heart, but a wickedness in their heart in the way they did that. See, it's not the amount... It's the heart. It proves our love. Not a command. Paul says, now I'm not commanding you to come in here next Sunday. Okay, everybody line up. We've got to prove our love for Jesus. No, it's not a command. I'm just telling you. It proves your love. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I, I pray for your help for myself and my home. For each of us in this room to figure out what we do with the Macedonians. You, you, you plucked them out of history and you put them into my face today. What am I, what are we to do with the Macedonians? Why, why did you show me that example and call me to excel? Would you guide each of us in what that means? And I'm God, I'm so grateful that as you do that, you do it in your love and you do it in your grace. Pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.